0: If more you supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> <God West>. <laughs> the
1: blah blah the blah. Blah blah Send Sending good and vibes. The blah, blah. Good the blah blah blah. Good vibes. Good vibes. Blah blah Good vibes. Good vibes. breaths
2: of deep gratitude and prayers for guidance and protection, and put on a didgeridoo and shamanic drumming track, shivers or vibrations and stuff like that.
3: Cool. And, and, and our friends thought, oh, they're going to go try and smuggle hashish cheese so they can make money. The truth was, we were going to get our stash. We just needed it that bad that we were willing to risk our freedom in a foreign land. And God forbid if we'd ever gotten arrested there.
0: Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We are going to be chatting with Leonard Bushell a little bit later. A uh, self-proclaimed recovered cannabis addict who wrote a book called High. I think it's called High.
2: High Confessions of a Cannabis Addict. Yeah.
0: There you have it. There's the title. And that was a fun chat. It was uh, interesting. A little all over the place, but fun.
2: Yeah, it was good. Yeah.
0: He would, I was actually kind of, it was cool because there was a time when, uh, you you might have got triggered by his anti Trumpisms right off the get go, but you uh, you slipped that bounce right off your back.
2: No, there's no. I don't. I'm not getting triggered by any of that. I don't, I don't care. I don't care about any politics right now at all. It's just. I mean, whatever. Fuck. People can think whatever they want. There's what way if, more triggering things that's these that's days, there, like it? the government calling you. You know, <laughs> calling you because you're. Supposedly in quarantine, that kind of thing triggers a little more triggering for me these days. Was that
0: the first time you left the house? No, dude. So what? it wasn't, they, called, they didn't call you the first time you left the house?
2: No, they called me the last day of the supposed quarantine. The so-called quarantine.
0: But wasn't it just happened to be the first time you left the house with your phone? No. No.
2: <laughs> Anyways... I didn't hear any uh, any of that stuff from him, so I'm I'm okay with that. Little, maybe a one little thing. That's it. It wasn't a big I think deal. Think he called him the Führer. Yeah, that's <laughs> they're all Führers. He is in a lot of ways right now. I mean, he could have shut down the whole fucking COVID thing and he didn't. So, or he could have right. tried and he didn't. He didn't. Instead, he warp speeded it. So, I'm kind of more on that side now. Anyways, whatever. Worked out. Worked
0: out. I'm flying. I'm flying. will be wild. Yep. Flying under the radar. You're driving. I'll see you down there. I'll wave.
2: We're talking about our trip down to Utah, the canyons. Contacted the canyons. It'll be fun. I'll
0: see you down there in your little car, cruising along, <laughs> you and the Braidster, cruising down through Mormon country. I'm just going to fly over into Vegas, hopefully make it out of Vegas and up the mountain. Nice. This year, I got to drive, which is kind of a pain. But at least I only got to drive from Vegas. You got to drive the whole way. That'll be a breeze. It's like uh, much better than going to Arizona.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Kind of.
4: Kind of?
0: Yeah. Your first day out of quarantine and you're leaving back to the States, you're going to be like, what the fuck? They won't know till you come back, I guess.
2: <laughs> it's, it's just it's I'm just it's fucked. Dude. I can't I can't uh I can't I just can't describe what's going on. It's just such a it's ever ever it's ever what did I say to my mom? It's ever uh everlasting my it's just mind blowing, constantly, how how crazy things are right now. Honestly. I it's
0: <sighs> I wonder if they'll ask you on the way down this time you're going to go to Montana, right?
2: Yeah.
0: Straight to Montana. We're and living then, in
2: a fucking movie. And then you're going to come in back movie.
0: in straight to Alberta this time. Yeah. This will be a nice little experiment. Yeah, we'll we're, we're
2: living in a movie. Yeah, But we'll then
0: see what happens. Ooh, yeah, but this time you're going to do the thing. It'll be interesting to see if they just breeze through. Yeah. Maybe they won't bother calling you. But they, you haven't got fined. In two weeks i feel like they would no, have know, done something by now i know
2: but i was just i was i guess i'm just disappointed because i was hoping it would just they would just leave it alone for the whole two weeks but the last day they i got the call and i missed the call i was maybe
0: they were going to congratulate you or something i don't think so did they leave a message yeah what i say can we hear it
2: no i'd rather not play it oh if they K7 call again, I might it, answer it. K7, you know K7, what it is. Here, you don't want someone to turn
0: it into a jingle.
2: I don't want. I don't want to. I don't know how much to fight back. To be honest with you, that's what it is. It's 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 how much do I? There's a bunch of different ways to handle it, and I'm just not sure what the best way to handle it is. You know, I'll probably end up snapping regardless. But you know, do I start off all polite, or do I just start off saying like "fuck you" kind of thing, like like you do?
0: I you know? uh, I come on. You know, I'm very polite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm somewhat, I'm, you know, you I'm politely I mean. aggressive. Yeah. Uh, it's just hard to know
2: how to, cause it, cause it's just all, it's complete bullshit. I mean, it, it, it's not like I've been sick or anything like that or tested positive. It's nothing like that. It's, it's, it's ludicrous what's happening right now. Anyways, let's, let's move on. I don't want to brood on this subject. Get More people death Why don't you just stuff. like
0: fully fucking blast in, just fake it the whole way. Just like you're a law abiding little dude.
2: No, that's not fighting. That's not, you know, no, No. No, I don't want to, no, I need to, to, we need to start fighting back against this. It's not going, it's not going away yet. So, and it might not. So, I mean, any little thing that maybe, maybe she, I mean, these people aren't going to respond to you in any kind of coherent way, but at least maybe it'll make her think in her own mind, like, what's my job and what am I actually doing here?
0: I think those are the ones that thought are gone.
2: Yeah, maybe, but I mean, you still—I don't know. Like, you're, you're, I still got to try. I mean, I—I I commend you.
0: I commend thanks, you. Buddy. I'm looking forward to just some no hassle travel. I do have to take a test. I think. I think I need to take a a test to go down.
2: But like, like you said, I think the airport's just positive, positive. I mean, negative, negative. Do I need negative? to do I mean, a test to
0: get back? It. I should look into this. I don't yeah, know what should, the yeah. fuck I got to do.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: But I think it's just a rapid antigen test. I'll just do one of my Walmart ones. I got my Walmart snap. That'll be fine.
2: Oh my god! So do you, do you do you do you want to talk about your books? Your books out?
0: My books out. They're both right here, huh?
2: Congratulations, congratulations, buddy. Thanks.
0: Big shout out to me.
2: What's it called? What's it about?
0: It's called "In Their Own Words: The Indian Act." No, it's not. That's not it.
2: What is it? What is the mark? It's called, it's called in their own words. In their own
0: words, testimony from the students of Canada's indigenous residential school program. Nice. From the back of the book. Nice. What is the cost of an education? That's a good picture of me on the back of the book too. I gotta say I'm looking uh, sexy. Uh, Is education an additive process or a reductive one? How does one weigh the benefits of tradition against the threat of being at odds with the future? How does one refuse the offer of a better life for the children? What if the offer is compulsory? What happens when the tree of knowledge bears rotten fruit? While the history of Canada's residential school program is only just beginning to be unearthed, there are already enough first-hand accounts to begin asking some of these questions. So basically this book is a collection of um, testimony statements from, to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, from 2011 to, or 2008 to 2015. And um, yeah, they're all in there.
2: So basically, like, true pages. stories of, of the experiences in the residential schools or from before the schools or the family's experiences, all that kind of stuff? Yes. And is it It's available? Is it on your website at Canadian Shame? It is, is that not the same? on the
0: website. It's oh, only on okay. Amazon right now.
2: Amazon? Okay. I'll talk. To so them. they can buy it on Amazon?
0: Kindle? On Amazon. Kindle. Yep. Paperback. I'm fighting with them about the hardcover. If I, okay. I'll figure it out. You'll put a link in the show notes,
2: yeah I'll put a link in the show notes
0: and they could check it out nice. I'd encourage people to buy it if they uh can it would help, especially this week next week, you know help with the algos make uh make it bump up the algos and uh get more more eyes on it and that'll help and of course, we're getting help from Kyle deLille and his wife are gonna help us out with the all the testimony reading. And Graham will narrate the whole whole thing.
2: We'll get this out on audio for everybody. It's gonna take a minute. It's gonna take a minute. <laughs> It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it though. It'll be worth the effort to do it properly and have a a different uh indigenous female and male voice in there telling the stories. Totally.
0: So how's it to get out on the town last night? That must have been your first time like out in a while. Nope. No. No? Nope. Out oh, for a dinner like like that?
2: Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah.
0: Any masks?
2: Nope, no. It's pretty. Not good.
0: even on the servers. No. I know, like the drive-through people have stopped wearing masks finally.
2: Well, we'll see, dude. It's, it'll come back. I think. I'm, I'm not trying to be negative, Nelly or anything, but oh, yeah, they, they're they're already pumping. They're pumping this this next thing, here. we'll see what happens. You're, you're like gr- you said, like you said, on the weekend,
0: you're, you're Grim Graham. Grim
2: Graham. You're not sure if. uh if people will will let it happen again, but pretty sure they will. There's enough people that are all in.
0: All in, yeah. I don't meet any of these people. I've met one actually. Uh, uh, in late in early 2021, I met someone who was who was very all in. But uh, I won't say his name. That'd be rude.
2: All right, what do you got? I got a great email here from uh, COVID Canadian COVID Care Alliance, and they they linked to a couple of petitions. So, just uh, want to mention this for Canadians out here. I'll, I'll put links to both of these in the show notes. But um, these petitions were provided to the CCCA from members of our community. The COVID Canadian Care Canadian COVID Care Alliance is sharing them to raise awareness and to encourage your consideration please note their closing dates and act accordingly. So all for all us Canadians out here, there's one called uh, E3871 Health, call for investigation into Canada's role in the lipid nanoparticle technology. I support that. It's a good idea. And then petition E3934 is employment and labour. And that's a call to repeal the interim COVID-19 requirements for civilian civil sorry civil aviation.
0: Is that to be like uh, to work on an airline? Uh,
2: No, I think that is to... uh, That is immediate repeal the interim order respecting certain requirements for civil aviation due to COVID. Ensure that people are free to work in the aviation industry, industry in Canada, regardless of their vaccination status. And compel the federal government to respect the fundamental rights of workers and respect... All the basic freedoms that make our democracy unique, such as freedom of choice, and the other one is pretty self-explanatory about the you know Canada's role in the lipid nanoparticle technology.
0: What are the lipid nanoparticles? I wonder if they
2: have. I can go through that. I wonder if they have anything about JT and his investment in said companies. Um, Call for independent and objective investigation. Oh, that's the government of Canada again. Oh, answer, 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 answer. Put it on speaker.
0: Come on, let's do this. Uh, Can I be your lawyer? I'll be your attorney. Ah. I represent.
2: Hello? Hi, my name is
4: Jacqueline, and I'm calling on behalf of the government of Canada to speak with Graham Dunlop. Yeah, this is him. I'm calling as a designated screening officer just to verify some information about your arrival into Canada on April 11th. Okay. So travelers who are not fully vaccinated are required to quarantine and do testing on day eight. Were you given that information? Uh, yes. And were you able to complete the day one and day eight testing?
2: No, I'm. No, I wasn't.
4: Okay, and is there a reason for that?
2: Uh, not sick.
4: Okay, so you were given the tests, but you did not complete the tests. Correct. Okay there there may be fines assessed by the government if you do not complete the tests. Okay, uh, so I just
2: have to make you aware of that. Yeah, that's that's and, fine. Yeah.
4: Okay. Well, thank you for your time.
2: I'm sorry, can I ask? Can I ask? Uh, why this is still an issue? When the just because I don't want to show papers whether I've been jabbed or not, and the jabbed are spreading it uh, just like the unjabbed. There's no difference, really. Do you really do you really think that this vaccination mandate has made a difference?
4: Well, that's not up to me to say. I'm calling to see if you have so complied with the federal regulations. So, if you've chosen not to, then that's how I'll have to. Code your file, and you may be followed up with again in the future.
2: Okay. Uh, I've chosen not to not to disclose come. my status to you.
4: Unless we can verify your status over our telephone call, you may have to receive an in-person visit from a police officer to verify information. <laughs> that would possibly be the next step. <laughs>
2: So are you going to maybe just think about the evidence that's out there right now with with vaccinations and what's happening in the world? I mean, seriously, well, like we—I have to my, push it's back. Not it's it's not opinion, it's, your your job is to on. You. Your, your job is is in the middle of all this right now, right?
4: Okay. Well, I I'm not here to argue with you. I'm just here to gather data. Okay. And you've provided that, so yep. I'm going to end this phone call. Thank, Thank you me. very much. Bye.
0: She just cared about the test. She didn't even ask about the court or oh, she did mention the quarantine.
2: So I just, I mean, honestly, dude, I, I, I'm just, just. Whew. Hey, how you you so far? That was great timing. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I, I just. Uh,
0: so now you've been coded
2: as an anti. So they're going to, they're going to come by. The cops will come by probably. Well, I don't know if they're the going to come by. They'll give me a fine or whatever. But I mean, see, the problem is they know that I haven't done the test because I didn't register, So, it's just stupid government confirmation bullshit. Like, you know, I didn't go Last time they didn't even...
0: Oh, wait, did they? Last time they didn't even give us a test, remember?
2: No, they didn't. They were were so rattled. They they were so... So We we had to reverse,
0: but I still got... It's so After deep. I blocked them, they'd email me. They emailed me on I know, date, I know and they like, time to do your test.
2: I know. I just don't know. Like, it goes so deep, dude, this whole thing. And I just don't know how much to tell them and how much to push back. Like, there's just, oh, there's so much information out there on the other side of what's happening here. And it, it's it's mind boggling what we're going through. That we're still in this veil of, of brainwashing.
0: You should have just like, uh, you just got to start fucking with them. Maybe you could string her along for a while. Talk just I don't know what the fuck do I do with these tests? Like he just handed me these tests. Uh, what no, I, I, I mean,
2: I, I, I have to. I mean, she's gonna think I'm nuts, and she'll probably clamp down harder. That's the problem, right? She's nah, probably gonna put I a fucking so. tick mark under my name. Go, make sure you go by that guy's house because he's being an ass. But
0: they, yeah, but that's like those fucking. There's like that's our, our CMP and Chestermere.
2: I know. I know.
0: They only came to my house the one time, and I yelled at them, and they never came back.
1: (laughs) And then, so last
0: last time, they didn't didn't call or nothing. So, So I I mean, just just make sure, if it's the cops, just, like, keep that same attitude. Be like, what the fuck are you doing here, man? I told Buddy to get off my porch.
2: Anyways, that was good timing after the petitions that that I read about. So, I'm in the middle of reading... (laughs) <laughs> I told her you are live on the America show and I'm in the middle of reading the petition for the call for investigation into Canada's role, who you work for in the lipid nanoparticle technology. So it's a call for an independent and objective investigation of the government of Canada's use of vaccine mandates, the patented Canadian lipid nanoparticle technology and the multi-year agreements securing significantly more vaccines than there are citizens in Canada. Investigation whether a federal restraint of trade and a biasing of the market occurred when the GOC announced that only vaccines would get us through the pandemic, delayed and suspended approval of vaccines not licensed to use the LNP technology, and discredited all medical treatments and related to vaccines not related to vaccination. Number three: ensure no market allocation occurred by making vaccines the only option for treating it. Four, ensure there is no appropriate, sorry, there was no inappropriate interlocking directorates between manufacturers, technology licensors, and the GOC. Five, determine whether there was suppression of information and coercion by forcing citizens into a single scenario without proper market forces to provide alternatives. And six, determine whether any government body or officials benefited financially in any way from sales of vaccines licensed to use the NLP technology or extended the pandemic to increase sales of mRNA vaccines. Sign that petition, you Canadians.
0: Sign it up. Sign it up. Sign it up. While you're on the internet signing stuff, head over to to, uh, grandamerica.ca slash support, sign a check. Actually, you don't even have to sign a check. You just sign up click little box click little box click little box bang 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 monthly bang you're in 50 bucks a month that'd be a great number a little high maybe a little high maybe more like five bucks a month maybe four bucks a month maybe 450 a buck a show that'd be a good one hey if everybody if everybody gave a buck a show then i could retire too that'd be nice that would be nice we could travel Actually, I still got the kid, so... <laughs>
2: we could <can> travel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Gramerica.ca slash support, guys. Seriously, we can't do without you. Um Graham is is uh, out there doing this as a job now. So, you know, like I said last week, we do have support dropping off with inflation and, um you know, just everything going on in the world. There's tons of people who are in, who are in dire straits who can't support podcasts anymore. Podcast subscriptions tend to be the first things to go, uh, especially the value for value ones that you're not getting content for. So, you know, if you're in a position where you can't afford a buck a month or five bucks a month or ten bucks a month or maybe a one-time donation, head over to grammerica.ca slash support today. And uh if you can, there's been there's never been a more important time to support the show than right now. We need your support more than ever. Grandmarica.ca slash support. If you want to check out our other podcasts, head over to GrammaricaOutlaw.ca. I think we're up to like episode 80 around there, something like that. Another 80 podcasts to listen to, see how you like them. Uh, and you can head over to AdultBrain.ca, check out all the audio books we've been doing. You can join the chats over at Grammarica.ca slash chats. Forget to mention the swag at Grammarica.ca slash swag. And uh, of course, there's the books, uh, my book, uh, Canadian Shame and In Their Own Words, both available on Amazon. I think now if you just type my name into Amazon, uh, both books should pop up until that little British bastard writes a book. I wonder what it would be about. Probably like conserving uh, Brexit stuff or something.
2: Are you... Uh,
0: I could beat him in an arm wrestle. I know that.
2: Are you attaching the email from Brian from Spokane? Is that Spokane,
0: audio? Brian. I uh, well, I can, yep.
2: He's got a couple of questions at the end about... Uh, past lives so i wanted to just answer them we got an awesome email from brian about uh, gordon white's episode coming up as an attachment at the end of this i'm not sure how long it's going to be 20-25 minutes or something but he says uh you know what do we think of past lives and what are our stories and do you have any stories Darren, about your past lives at all no no do you believe in them yeah I don't remember. Me too. I, I I remember I doing any it in, in in the early not ni- in the mid nineties. My nana took me to a friend that was doing past life regressions, and I remember one of them was a court. I was a court jester in, in one of them. I was um, still are witted, witty witty. quick! I was quick witted witted. Um, and then I one I was uh, a I was also a, a peasant that I but I knew of some sort of king conspiracy, which is interesting. So this is going back to the mid nineties, and I was. You know, from what a very very small uh, sort of visualization, but it was like a peasant girl or a peasant that sort of knew something about the king or his conspiracy. And then I thought there was another one about. Um, well, I had a gr- I did a group one once, and I had the number eleven ten come in, and like my I've always had chronic. Uh, my I broke my left arm when I was younger, and I thought that was my shield arm from when I was a knight uh, in the year eleven ten. And my friend, uh, Dave Farrell, was there, um, had some experiences, kind of some visualizations of sort of being a knight and and just getting bashed a lot in that left arm, and that's why I have that injury. So, I mean, that's my sort of lame-ass uh, past life stuff, but I, I would like to explore that a little bit more.
0: I might have it right here. Let me see something.
2: Uh-oh. I can... I can make groups of people laugh. If you want an example of my sense of humor, just go to the Grimerica Show podcast and listen to that <laughs> for a bit. <laughs> now, <laughs> now I'm the perfect candidate for Mars because I'm fit, spiritually, health, uh, emotionally, and physically. And I'm a.
0: Oh, that's it. how it is. Cut you off.
2: So, so I can.
0: Oh man, our audio is. Sketchy. Yeah,
2: don't play. Don't play uh, that. I yeah, something's going on. Without like. I, I don't <laughs> think you should play that, anyways. <laughs>
0: quick. I could sue us.
2: Darren's trying to find my Mars One application it's on It's in there.
0: the Frank Joseph episode number 19, someplace. People want to look for it. It was still there from the last time I played it on the show. And then I think episode 139 with Rick Simpson is the start of the great uh, fortune cookie prank. <laughs> 20, 2014 or 20. I guess it would have been like 2015, maybe.
2: Anyway, <laughs> what else you got? That's it that's it yeah All right, well, well, i got just... i got a quote for you let's do the quote because it's uh it's quick
0: with it
2: yeah
1: it's the profound quote of the week
2: Life is one big road with lots of signs. So when you're riding through the ruts, don't you contemplate your mind. Free from hate, Oh, flee from hate, mischief, and jealousy. Don't bury your thoughts. Put your vision to reality.
0: Bob Marley. What? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Ralph Waldo yeah. Emerson? Yeah.
2: Oh, you got it. Bob
0: Harley. Did I? I was just having a big hoot, too. (laughs)
2: What?
0: (laughs) I was like, (laughs) (laughs) all right, guys. Good guess. Enjoy this email. And then, of course, the interview (coughs) with uh, Leonard. Is it Leonard?
2: Leonard Bouchel.
0: Leonard Bouchel, the high guy. Not as high as this guy, though. We did the show in 2.20, 4.20, too. Enjoy the chat.
2: Hello, it's me again, Brian from Spokane, Washington. I'm listening to your latest episode with Gordon White, and... Well, I have a quite lengthy response or more like a story to tell. But nevertheless, it is an important thing to say. All my life, I've been able to remember past lives. While more like they have chosen to be remembered, as I cannot do it at will. It just happens. Now, before I go on any further, I will lead with a quote from the late great Art Bell, famous for Coast to Coast AM. Remember, folks, it is up to you to decide what you believe. Now, in order to try and keep this sane and logical to read, or at least as best I can, I shall tell my story in order chronologically, and not necessarily when I had these memories or visions or premonitions or whatever words you would like to use to describe these memories in the current life. Part 1. Context About a year ago, on a day I shall never forget, I had what I will call my vision quest. The date was June 18th, or as it is now a holiday, Juneteenth. This was when a whole lifetime of fragments of a life long forgotten was explained, not with words, but with visions and trials. I should explain that my vision quest was induced with a concentrated amount of THC, totaling, oh, about 100 milligrams. It was in grape soda, if you're curious, but that matters little. The experience started slowly, with some entity talking to me through what could only be described as telepathy, But instead of talking with words, it would grab bits of my memories from my current life, particularly songs. It was guiding me, testing me. The best way to describe it would be the stories I've heard Joe Rogan telling about the DMT elves and how they test you to try and help you overcome your flaws. But in order for that to happen, you have to figure out what they are telling or showing you. Now, most of the details of my vision quest, which put everything into context, are not important to the story as they are only personal and relevant to me. But the information the entities relayed in my vision quest and in visions and dreams from that date, more current dates, or dates all the way back as to when I was four years old, shall be relayed as a preface and context to what I shall inscribe unto thee herewithin. But I won't say when I, in my current life, or at what age, they happened, as that is not important. It begins... Humanity, particularly in this solar system, is 850 million years old or thereabout. Four great ice ages ago, or if taken in another context, four of the biggest cycles there is, i.e. Kalayugas or whatever it would be called, except a is 26,000 years. The Book of Enki details the creation, i.e. the great birthing mothers, seven humans born at a time, human beings, cute little pets who can't breed for themselves. Now, if anyone has heard of demons and succubus or of Lilith, that's where all of that came from. 450 million years ago is a little fuzzy, but from what I was able to make out that this was when Enki or Enoch or whatever he was called started tinkering with humanity, giving them a higher dimensional soul, the ability to be cunning and reason, the ability to make our own babies, get your head out of the gutter, if that's what you're thinking, etc., now fast forward to 1978. A man named Richard Hoagland discovers the face on Mars. He begins researching a place that he names Sidonia. You may be asking why I am including Richard Hoagland. Well, it's simple. Everything from 250 million years ago to 48,000 years ago. Well, in the words of whatever entity who bestowed unto me the knowledge I am here unto you bestowing. Well, it goes as follows. Hoagland knows. A band named Muse. Made a song called Knights of Sidonia. It starts out with Come ride with me through the veils of history. I shall show you a god who falls asleep on the job. How can we win when fools can be kings? Don't waste your time, or time will waste you. Short side note from Graham The Orb has an album named Sidonia from way back. Now, with that short and totally incomplete context in history, which if I tried to relay in its entirety would encompass, I would reckon, at least a thousand hours of radio shows, documents, and sadly irreproducible dreams, memories, and downloaded knowledge, brings us to memories of living on Mars when humanity was in a golden age, living hand in hand with at least a thousand races and beings sadly which I can't remember the shape or form of any of the fuckers except the one draconian orbital dropship trooper who just so kindly tried to bite my head off until somehow using the power of what Hoagland would call hyperdimensional physics or I like to call mind powers managed to melt his face off with a bolt of plasma. Now it sounds crazy but hey, that's what I remember so I mean it has to be true, at least for me. But if anyone has heard of chi powers of Tibetan monks who can kill you by simply thinking it and doing some flashy karate chop in your general direction, well, what's the difference of willing that or willing a fireball into existence? But in the words of Charles Fort, I shouldn't have said that yet. And in the words of that one twit from Top Gear, oh no. Anyway, part two, a most glorious sunrise. I should begin this part by saying I remember being as a young child on either the planet Mars, or more likely the planet Mars used to orbit as a moon that some people have come to call Marduk, Maldek, Planet 5, the big spinny ball that went kerplui and made that asteroid belt. Take your pick. Anyway, I was a little girl, which sadly I can't remember a name or the language or anything like that, but I do remember how I used to look. But since this is an email and I'm no good at describing people, I will use a simple explanation. I didn't look that different from any person alive on earth today. Just another stranger who would have blended in on the bus. Kind of like that song from the 90s called, What if God was one of us, just a stranger on the bus? Anyway, most of the childhood I can remember from that is unimportant. I really only remember a loving family and many golden sunsets and sunrises. Now, something happened 65 million years ago or somewhere around that date. I use 65 million years ago, as that's what Hoagland has come up to the conclusion of. And well, if the voices that guided my vision quest are correct, and they haven't been wrong before so, who am I to argue? But something happened. An age change, a rise of corruption, maybe a race of aliens who managed to con the whole galaxy into quite literally going to war with itself. Something happened. And it brought death on a scale that hadn't been seen since billions of years ago. When what I call the progenitors, those who came before, since the time when they waged war. I cannot describe any of it, as it wasn't something I was connected to, but it has to be known since it requires context. So the story goes as follows War happens, then it comes to our solar system. I, along with many other children and old people, and whoever could easily channel high amounts of energy through the body using simple thoughts, was brought to a temple locating in the Jezero crater. We currently have a Mars rover at that very spot that I once stood. This temple is located in a location that I kid you not, and I swear to God I am not fucking with you, but NASA has named it. Drumroll, please. Temple Rock. Now the temple is long gone, but it once looked like a Thai or a Japanese or whatever Asian style single floor temple you could imagine. Now, I want you to imagine Mars, but it had a giant-ass moon or planet or whatever orbiting it, that you could see at all times. Just Google the album art for that Muse song I mentioned earlier called Knights of Sidonia," and try to imagine that, but green, not red. Anyway, it was a very flat step like yet very pleasantly warm, with rolling hills of corn and wheat and apple trees. In the distance was one of the several space elevators lots of boulders too, a very beautiful place. Anyway, this temple had a grandmaster who was trying to teach people how to channel chi powers, or whatever you would call it. But since we were a peaceful planet, agrarian idyllic, if you will, war wasn't something he was good at teaching, especially when the whole galaxy was at war and the war was rapidly approaching Sol and Alpha Centauri. Now let's fast forward to the day Mars died. I was, if I had to guess, a 10-year-old girl who was recruited basically into a supped-up Volkstroms, taught how to kill with a simple thought without need for any weapon, but wasn't taught how to control it. Power consumes when you are not ready to handle it. Now, the day started very peaceful with the day's training underway. Now, it had to have been either 8 or 9 a.m. or maybe 5 or 6 p.m., It was a pleasant spring or summer day, then to everyone's surprise, the whole planet got shook by an explosion from space. The war had reached Seoul, our solar system. Spaceships bigger than entire planets warp in. It was the most beautiful light show ever. The best way to describe it is with the scene from an old HBO documentary called Band of Brothers. It was the Battle of the Bulge. This soldier was digging a foxhole and cooking food when artillery started raining down. And the guy was describing it like the 4th of July, how he loved fireworks, how he was laughing. And though it was for the first barrage, then the horror of it sinks in and you ain't laughing or having fun no more. The space battle was the scariest thing one could see in their life. You couldn't hear any of it because sound doesn't travel in space, but the shockwave does, or at least these ones did. Every time a ship blew up, it would shake the entire planet a little bit or cause major earthquakes if a large ship blew up. Now, from where I was before the orbital invasion started, a small cruiser-class spaceship had its engines shot out. You could see the plasma fires from where it was in orbit, or not even orbit. It had to have been a million miles from the planet, but it quickly got into orbit and, with limited engines, could only crash into the planet. Coincidentally, it's still on Mars. Hoagland has been trying to get NASA to take pictures of it for 30 years. I can't remember the name NASA gave it, but Hoagland thinks it's a crashed ocean liner. I'm sorry for not being able to give pictures, but... But, well, I'm writing this mostly on memory, as like the dum dumb I am, I forgot to keep my sources and images. Anywhere, here I am, a small kid watching everything I've ever known get blown up. Now what does a kid do? They hide behind a rock or a boulder. Well, that works well enough to try and hide from a space elevator that had its supports shot out by kinetic barrage from orbit or, well, a crashing spaceship. Then we get to what I alluded to in the beginning of my email. Here I am laying on my back behind a rock, when some alien species with a fuck ton of pointy teeth is able to open their mouth wide enough to bite clean in half a person's head. So I would say a good eight or nine foot tall creature finds me behind a rock. And that's when the little training of the mind saved me. As in a moment of fear, I simply held out my hand and looked away, thinking I was going to die until I didn't. When I looked up, I had blown a hole clean into the guy's head. And if you think it could have been any other person who was near me who killed said creature, I don't think so, as they uh, kind of got killed too. So, uh, I know this sounds crazy, but it's connected to me and to what's happening now. That moment was a contract a silent pledge. I had learned how to kill, and kill I did. I would describe it as blood for the blood gods. Everything that moved, whether it was a friend or foe, I killed. In the words of Robert Oppenheimer, I had become death, destroyer of worlds. It was a feeling that I cannot describe, but it was pure ecstasy, and killing became like a dance. It started with simple fireballs or whatever, but it ended with me being able to do what I would call a blink or a short-range teleport. Where you raise your vibrational frequency to be able to travel distances in a lower dimension at great speeds by using a higher dimension. The moral of everything I've set up to now is that in a time of great change where I could have used whatever abilities I was given to help those in need, I did the opposite and gave in to evil. I had quite literally become dead. Part three The time has come to make things right. Now let us jump to the modern day where we are currently in a time of great change. The guy or entity who guided me through my vision quest on June 18th, along with every other time since I was age four up till now, he has said everything is going to come to a great crunch, where everything happens at once, on the solar eclipse of 2024. Now my karma is to pay for my sins on Mars by not giving in to my own demons, but helping those in need which is what Oppenheimer did after he created the atom bomb. His second lesser-known speech was where he said, No, I am not death destroyer of worlds. I am life savior of worlds. Now, I'm not saying that there is going to be another galactic war. No, it's going to be quite tame comparatively, but it's still going to be scary. But there is light. We are at the age change, my friend. We will get through this turmoil. We will enter a golden age. When we are done. There's a book called Messages for Help on Ascension to the Fifth Dimension, Messages from the Pleiadians. In that book they say that this is a time of choice. There are those among us that will choose a path of darkness like I did so long ago. There are those of us who are here to atone and help us choose a path of love and light. Some of us are going to choose to stay with a world that is chained to the physical like ours is currently. But others, myself included, want to choose a different path to return to the ways of old, where we live in harmony with the physical and the spiritual, just like how the Native Americans used to. You know, the Natives have legends of the star people. Little did they know all those thousands of years ago that we are the star people. Now, I've already lost focus with this email, so let me continue with some words of hope and wisdom. Prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Learn about permaculture and how to live in harmony with nature. Learn how to work with nature and with technology. Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, which you have read his book on Audible, I own it. He was correct and incorrect at the same time. It's not technology that is at fault. It is our own free will or our inability to realize we have it sometimes, since we seem to enjoy letting others make decisions for us. In the words of the hood kids, fuck the government. We can choose to take a gun and shoot someone in the head, or we can use the same gun to shoot a rabbit or a deer to feed our family. Be smart about what you do and where you live. I don't know where's a good place to live to make things easy, but my vision quest and countless other times have shown me that the Rocky Mountains will be safe, particularly around Montana and Idaho and adjacent parts of the Canadian Rockies. There's also this YouTube channel called Suspicious Observers, and if my memory recalls, You had that guy on your show several years ago. He's that dude that's way too into the electric universe, but he's on the right trail with everything else. But he says to live in the Rockies near Mexico or Arizona, what he calls the new Valley of the sun. The point is I've got several sources saying go to the Rockies when shit hits the fan. But the most important thing I can say is to love your fellow man. Some of the younger souls among us are just a little misguided. So I'm going to repay those who have helped me by writing this and paying it forward. Another good idea would be to, uh, words please, uh, buy this book by a guy named Walter Jenkins. Basically, this guy was making a car run on water by splitting water into oxygen and hydrogen, which is two extremely flammable gases. On Amazon link to the book as follows, put in the show notes, it's called Water the Key to New Energy. But basically, you can use a couple of pickle jars, some hoses, copper wire, and baking soda to split water using a process called electrolysis. Walt had a website called H2GE, but I just tried looking for it and I can't find it now. Maybe it got taken down by bots or something. Who knows? What I'm trying to say is that you will be able to drive your car even in the event that gas goes away. Now, I hope that nothing will happen and an apocalypse won't happen, but I think we have so many sources from Earth and not from Earth saying one's going to happen that we might as well prepare for one also. And it might not hurt to buy a bunch of survival seeds off Amazon so you can grow your own food just in case. Also, weed helps expand the mind. I love it. Use it, but don't abuse it. I mean, the natives used weed and DMT to expand the mind for thousands of years until us White boys fucked it up for everyone. But if I have anything to say, that will be fixed. We as a whole planet need to learn from our ancestors. We're all brothers and sisters after all. Now I'm at this point of my extremely rambly and not at all well-written email where I don't know what to say now. I've covered everything I feel I need to. So I guess if you guys have gotten to this point, I have some questions for you. What do you guys think of past lives? And what are your stories? Even if everyone else thinks you're crazy, well, I'm the one person who doesn't. With love and kind regards. Captain Corden, otherwise known as Brian from Spokane, Washington. Thanks for the email, Brian. Kind of fits in with the memories, uh, you know, that I was talking to Gordon about on the show. How it's interesting how maybe these substances help us retain memories, not only from childhood or things that we just don't remember consciously without really having to make an effort or sometimes you can't even reach anyways or maybe from past lives as well so hopefully i remember to talk about past lives before we talk about this email that come out in this episode thanks for the great email and the thought-provoking stuff Sidonia rocks <laughs> Back in a sec. We just uh...
0: we might as well do the bio now.
2: Yeah, well, I don't have it handy now. <laughs> Nobody
3: knows if I walk away.
2: Well, we we do. Okay.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Welcome to. Grand all right, America. you're not the first walk off. <laughs>
2: So how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing. I'm doing. I'll tell you. you want to know how I'm doing? Yeah, I do for sure. Hundred percent. It's uh, for it's four twenty, and this was scheduled on accident on four twenty.
3: Are we live, or do we play it in like an hour?
2: No, we. It's all it's live to tape, so it's it's live for all intents and purposes. Yes. Uh,
0: then it comes out Friday. So it'll be like four twenty two.
2: Sunday, Sunday. Well, that's
0: a, Sunday. The, the, the right. Sunday.
2: Sunday. That's yeah. an important day.
3: 424. <laughs> Five. Uh, are we are we recording now?
2: Yeah. Yes. We're we are. Now, yeah.
3: Great. Uh uh Well. Ask that question again. I didn't catch
2: it. Well, I mean, I, I just want to know how you're doing on 420, you know?
3: I posted my book for free, Kindle downloads, to every marijuana site that would let me. Good for you. And every, every group I'm a member of, which is ironically a lot of recovery groups, a lot of sober groups, a lot of sobriety groups. Uh, I offered it to them too because it's a book for the masses. Not for the potheads. Or I hear you don't use that word pot anymore. What do you call it? Like ganja lovers? Devotees? I chronic? still
0: use pothead.
3: Pot, pothead. It says it all. Uh, we You know, weed lovers uh, and... And I think, uh, and marijuana, marijuana, one of the greatest, maybe one of the few social improvements in America was the legalization or the decriminalization of marijuana. Every time I think about it, it just warms my soul. I was actually talking on a podcast earlier today, and a woman who was doing her show from Malta, the country of Malta. And she said, they just legalized marijuana. I said, that's great, but they hadn't been putting hundreds, thousands of immigrants and African-Americans and Mexicans in jail for 50 years. But I'm glad they legalized it. Uh, I'm glad we legalized it because it should hopefully, I know it won't destroy the prison industrial complex, but hopefully it, it could start the crumbling of of that system that was so incredibly beneficial to the people who owned the prisons and the wardens and everybody else so wow. now hopefully i don't know if it's i was going to say free legal in all 50 states but it will be eventually
2: well, I mean, you did call your book "High Confessions of a Cannabis Addict," and and I mean, I was going to ask you this because alcohol's everywhere and that, that's still a huge problem. So, I mean, is cannabis going to continue to be a problem even though it's legal? Or, I mean, I didn't why?
3: Know, I, didn't, I didn't know it was a problem. Alcohol? No, uh, marijuana.
2: I know. Is it going to be if it's if it's everywhere if it's legal like alcohol is? No,
3: no. I I I. I have a weekly newsletter called the Addiction Recovery
2: eBulletin.org.
3: And we have an article on it, the next edition, that prescription drug uh, the writing of prescription drugs has gone down in states where marijuana is legal. Okay. And that could probably be because it's a way to get high or it's a way to heal. The CBD, it 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 does it can do a lot of good for a lot of people. My book is more uh, maybe uh, trying to address people who have been smoking for 25 or 30 years and think they're still doing it to get high, but they're doing it because it's become habitual. And, and I'd like to quote a very famous disc jockey in Philadelphia who, when I sent him a copy of the book, he said, I have a problem with the title, Cannabis (laughs) Addict. I said, yeah. He said, I've been smoking for 53 years, and I can quit whenever I want. And he has, because he's been, like, since the 60s. He started getting high in the 60s, and he thinks he's doing it because he wants to. He just doesn't want to go through the, 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 the minor... The minor withdrawal that you get from marijuana, which I guess is sleeplessness and mild depression, dreaming, he, dreaming. He he does it because he doesn't know how to literally live without it, and because the because there is no dramatic bottom, so to speak, with marijuana. Eventually, you know, you you don't beat your wife, you don't get DUIs, you don't end up in prison, you don't. Uh, you, you just literally, I think, reach a level of, and I don't mean this to sound negative, but I think you reach a level of, in one way, it's the middle way. In the other way, I think it leads to a life of mediocrity. I think, because I think when you have a really good day at work, you come home and you smoke a joint. The next day you have a really bad day at work, you come home and smoke a joint. It's the neutralizer, you know. But I think it takes away the high of the natural high, and maybe it does relieve the low of a natural low. Um, but I think ultimately it, it's, it. you know, some people say, oh, it takes the edge off. I'm thinking, I love the edge. That's where I want to be. I want to be... On the edge, not on the edge of a razor blade that I was on for 13 years. But I want to I be where mountain climbers find it to be most exciting. You know, I think living without smoking pot after you've been smoking pot for 25, 30 years is like performing w- without a net. You know, I think there's nothing between, there's nothing to soften. You know, people, it's like almost like people carry around like a security blanket. Like one of the Peanuts characters. Like they always have to have that thing because it's their, it's their Bobby or it, it's, I loved marijuana as much as anybody when I couldn't get any hashish in Philadelphia when I was 20 years old I grabbed a friend and we flew to Israel to make sure we had a stash and the idea of smuggling it back in our underwear it was worth it it was worth it because we couldn't bear the thought of not getting high every day and there was no hashish in New York. We called every dealer we ever knew, every dealer's dealer, said there is no hashish in Philadelphia. And I thought, that's we, we got to do something about that. <laughs> and we, we, we went to Israel because it's right next to Lebanon, and red Lebanese hash is one of the most delicious things you'll ever taste. And if you can get some... You're lucky because you're probably living in the past. (laughs) Uh, Because now, I don't know, is hashish legal in marijuana shops?
0: Yes, it is here anyway.
3: Oh, my God. Now I'm, like, frightened. I've only been in a shop once. My brother wanted me to buy him some weed. I, I did. The displays were like they were displaying diamonds and emeralds. Gorgeous here in L.A. Gorgeous. And there's our bud tenders, usually somewhat sexy women who are the bud tenders. Uh, And I told them, I said, you know, I'm never going back in that shop because I had never been, I won't say tempted, but I felt like uh, I had missed my... (laughs) I had missed my... I, I was born in the wrong era. Imagine now. There's no... No fear of going to jail for ten or twenty years, which is what I had to deal with, in order to keep my high going, which I did, you know, for twenty six years every day. I know you got another
2: question. Well, I mean, I have I got, another answer in me. I got lots of questions, but I mean, I just i I found your book pretty fascinating, and there's some stuff we have in common. I mean, I've been in recovery for fourteen years. You know, awesome. you're about you're about uh, how
3: how do you like it?
2: Uh, your book yeah it was no great. no
3: no do you like being in recovery
2: for food. i love it i I love it i've i similar like story of the cravings just sort of left i had a a moment in in the treatment center i went actually you mentioned something about uh treatment centers in bc and i went to one I, it might have been the same one but it was the or it was called the orchard yes and i had the, the just a moment with some with some guys in there where i realized that uh like marijuana is part of my problem and Drinking was part of my problem. It was everything. So I, I had a kind of a moment of clarity where I was like, it's all or nothing, you know, I have to sort of stop all this stuff. And that was pretty, like, I was pretty grateful for that, that moment. I had it with some friends that had the same sort of issues. Cocaine and alcohol was the main thing. And I mean, that was kind of one of my questions to you is like, you know, cocaine was a huge problem for you. I mean, I don't know how you managed to go that long doing it every day. like I, I hit my bottom much quicker than 13 years. you know, It was probably half that time I I crashed pretty hard because I couldn't control it. but why, why did you why did you focus on sort of cannabis as the as the the book cover, the subtitle as opposed to like just addict or cocaine even?
3: Because I did marijuana the longest. It was my first love. It was the canvas that you could paint Valium yellow on it, or Percodan yellow, or you know, it's it's a, or tequila, vodka, everything else was on the canvas of marijuana. And even when the cocaine came into my life for 13 years, uh, it was still I never got high on coke when I wasn't high on pot. Because I was high for twenty six years every single day and 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 Coke was thirteen years and the way I was able to last thirteen years was i did i did it moderately, but I did it consistently you know, every single day, and if I only had a half a gram at night i I wouldn't do it all because I couldn't bear the idea of waking up in the morning and not having any. Not that I would do it right away, but it would be like waking up with no money. Like scary. Even though you don't so uh I just did a little all day long. Uh and and, and I had a heart condition that I was always wary of. So I didn't want to be like other people where it's like they blew their brains out. But I had a nice high all the time. Uh, you know, and we all had those. You know, In the book, there's that one part where my son was born at home and one of the midwives couldn't make it, so I had to assist the doula. And when it came time to cut the umbilical cord, all I could find was a razor on the, a Coke razor. So that's like a family legend. Like, did you really cut my umbilical cord with a razor, Dad? (laughs) Well, maybe. (coughs) (laughs) Luckily, luckily the video camera wasn't working that night.
0: When Uh, I was doing cocaine, I was the opposite. I never that like uh, when I was doing that, I didn't smoke any weed at all, really. Maybe once in a while, but I definitely wasn't smoking like a like a daily like I do now.
3: (laughs) So you're not cross addicted.
0: What?
2: Well, he's well.
0: I don't know what I am. I partake in things in different times. You're
3: curious. But... You're curious. You're an experimenter. You're a pioneer.
0: I don't I know if don't... I'd go that far. Well, but I like... uh well
3: go all the way. Just don't go...
0: I kind of gave everything else up and then sort of just the weed stuck around.
3: Well, nowadays, with the advent of cheap and plentiful fentanyl, you don't want to be a victim and it sounds like anybody doing any white powders that you didn't bring back from uh, Colombia yourself is is dangerous is, is dangerous and it's it's uh, it's a travesty and it's a tragedy and i don't know the 100,000 people that literally who died last year from overdoses I would think most of them were accidental. I think it was just in pursuit of the, of, of the high. And I can't, you know, I'm actually speaking at an opiate conference and I want to say people, uh, you know, if, if you were never a heroin addict, I don't think you really know how to address the problem, which I hear is extreme and it will get me in trouble. Uh, I smoked heroin in my life, so I, you know, and I it tasted like silk. It was like smoking silk, but I never got addicted to smoking it because there was a time when I thought if I don't stop now, my life is in the toilet, and I didn't want that. I was I thought I got pot, I got other drugs, I got Percodan. Uh, I I better because I had read enough and I'd seen enough movies. To know that once you're over that line uh, you know you could end up flatlining. Uh so I don't know why I bring that up on a show that's about what we're talking about which is everything I hope.
2: No it's important I mean that OD like this is you know a lot of this is coming from pharmaceutical stuff I mean it's uh, the transition from the street drugs to the legal drugs is kind of a blurry line these days you know and you got fentanyl and everything I think it's important I mean it's been for me, I I'm glad I didn't find the pills. I didn't go down that route. I was just too focused on alcohol and coke. And I had a like a, a when I was younger, I had a love for marijuana. It was a daily thing with my friends and I for a long time. Mm-hmm. But then I kind of you know left that. Alcohol was always there, but then it became coke. And thank thank God it's not nowadays, or I probably wouldn't be alive. Really, I mean, no, I I, I know, know
0: I wouldn't. I know I wouldn't. Show would suffer.
2: And I mean I had part like I had problems controlling it to the point where you know I'd go out on the town and I'd be either like super stuffed up or fucking runny nose everywhere. Like it was a it was it was just a nightmare. Con- it was a constant nightmare trying to manage manage that condition. And it to the point where I couldn't be normal unless I was high.
0: Did you ever have that one? Which one? Where you're wondering if you shit your pants every time you fire. Uh, (laughs) that was like a classic cocaine run with me for sure but i mean whenever i was doing cocaine i was like doing heavy drinking you know it was always like one Uh, of the two were hand in hand uh uh-huh yeah
3: i remember once going into this club up in san francisco and i got really indignant because as i was going in the guy at the door goes hey you got a little and i had been snorting ecstasy so I got indignant. I said, "You know that's not cocaine it's ecstasy up <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, my image because uh, i got a, I quit cocaine because I could start snorting ecstasy, and it was just that white powder, and that instant changing of the mood you were in uh that appealed to me it was just something it was it was it was uh I feel for the younger generation who can't just go out and score some Coke and do some lines and not literally be scared to death. Uh, I don't know if it is absorbed the same through your gums, but it probably is. And certainly if, if it's in a needle, you're a goner. If there's anything in there.
0: Uh, Playing good, fields really change. It's like become a real minefield.
3: But the minefield doesn't include getting arrested for marijuana anymore. Which yeah, that's is good. Man. And I know the price has come down. Oh, uh, wow, and- it's so
0: cheap. It's crazy. It's crazy. Like, even I can't believe how cheap it is. <laughs> it's fucked up. When I still- when I was a kid, I was paying like 10 bucks a joint in high school. That was like yeah. the racket. Uh-huh. It was like you get a gram for 20 or you get a joint for 10 And now it's like yeah. you get a quarter pound for a couple hundred bucks.
3: I was just told by a friend of mine who was a grower that, like two or three years ago growers were getting twelve hundred dollars per pound. Now it's down to four hundred.
0: yeah, that sounds about right. that sounds so, about right.
3: I don't know what the quarter ounces quarter or, or well, if you pounds. go here's
0: the thing, you go to the shop and you'll still pay fifty dollars a quarter or forty dollars an eighth, but if you just go to the gray market, it's like, dude, I got a pound for you for six hundred bucks
2: right, right.
0: And that's how with many, our fake Canadian money. But I mean, how many
2: pounds were you driving around in your car from Florida or wherever you were going to pick up, Leonard? Uh, usually <laughs> about 300, 300 pounds.
3: 300 pounds. That's what you could get in a Volvo station wagon or a Chrysler New Yorker. You could even get more. But the Volvo fit 300 in the well, in the back, like it was made for it. And, you know, it's like, that's what. You know, you were, we knew who the dealers were because they all had Volvos. Because a cop never pulled over a, a Volvo because the, the driver looked funny because they didn't see them. In other words, it's not a flashy car, it's a very low profile car, but very uh, efficient, very efficient.
1: Um, 300
3: sure. pounds. Going through the South, going through Florida and Georgia and South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia. Any of those states would have put you in jail for 20 years, especially if they knew you were Jewish. You'd, you'd be gone. You'd be gone. You know, They would think, we just lynch him or do we put him in jail? Let's put him in jail and charge the government a lot of money to house him the way it's been in the prison industrial complex for the last 50 years since Nixon. The war on drugs was a war on... Drug addicts. And as Gabor Mate, the Canadian from Vancouver, yep. says there's one of the great criminal acts of all times is to punish someone who's a drug addict because of the traumatic childhoods they have. and that was their only only relief and now you're punishing them again for possessing, for, for for possessing drugs. I'm sorry, I can't talk. Uh so, are you guys in
2: Vancouver? No, I was. I grew up in Vancouver. That's where I got sober, actually. In At Orchard so. Recovery. yeah. Orchard, Love that yeah. place. Yeah, it was fantastic nice. there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it was fantastic. Is that I, the yeah.
0: place where you were the uh, resident um, cool. Eckhart Tolle uh, guru.
2: The the resident what?
0: Eckhart Tolle guru. Yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean that played a big part of my recovery. I was thinking about it recently. Uh, just Eckhart. <clears throat> I was into the Eckhart Tolle, the New Earth, and I just watched the secret, like there was things that were changing me. Like I was reaching out for something and it was that spiritual experience. I mean, the whole thing was a weird divine intervention, really, if if I don't want to get into it again, but
3: yeah, I had that. I had that, you know, that question they say, people say, what's the spiritual part of AA? All of it.
2: Yeah, I was, I didn't want to look at the steps. And when I looked at them and I thought, Wow this is spiritual. I can handle that. I'll go to the orchard and do that. I'll do the steps. Because I, I wanted. I just ignored them. I wouldn't look at them for the longest time. And then when I finally read them, I was like, wow, that makes sense, actually. So I I just jumped right into that as well, the, the steps.
3: And the steps almost cost me to leave the rehab that I was in because I saw it was like, they had them literally engraved in the, on the marble walls. And I thought, there's God there. There's God, you know, there's like these... Used- God, what seven times in the in the steps, and I thought it was some sort of Christian cult or Republican, you know, re, re, re education camp.
2: But didn't they didn't they have like I know up here they have like uh, it, God as your own understanding, you know? They make it pretty clear, or they try to make it clear that it's whatever higher power. Like you just have to have something to yeah, surrender until to. You, until
3: you hear that you just see God of the Old Testament. Until you are informed and taught and people like you share that it's not a punishing God, it's a loving God, and maybe maybe it's not even God. Maybe it's love.
2: Maybe it's the great outdoors, a
3: group of drunks. Maybe it's dog backwards. (laughs) And where would we be without pets? Uh, it would be a grim and grus- it would be a grim american a grim america if we didn't have pets i can tell you that it really would be
2: so is that uh, you mentioned the ods i wanted to just touch on that is that a record year now the 100,000 ods yes usa 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 uh
3: 100,000 went from 70 to 80 i think to 90 to yeah. 100 yeah. and yes the pandemic certainly didn't help it certainly didn't help, and the influx of cheap synthetic fentanyl that you didn't need a poppy for. So there was no growing. The farmers are screwed, uh, and the new the new uh, methamphetamine that is made not from the ephedrine that people used to make it, but there's another uh, imitation ephedrine. That makes people psychotic much faster than the wow, old, that's the old make you crazy, you lose your teeth. But now, in at least in America, uh, they say seventy percent of the homeless had or are on meth that it messed up their brains so much that they can't function in normal society. So between that and uh, and fentanyl, and I guess heroin and uh, the the isolation that people felt for the last two years caused those those rates to skyrocket, to skyrocket. And I wonder what next year will bring. Uh,
2: i'm 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 think I'm looking for a solution. Well yeah I wanted to ask you about that cuz you've been in the I mean you've you've been sort of involved really officially involved in recovery for many years now too. I mean you've got the the real recovery festival and the uh you know you're the bulletin I mean you know really doing a lot of service work in that. And I feel like I feel like we're still losing the battle. I mean it's getting worse. I mean the the cities, the inner cities, the homelessness and the addiction I mean it's really seems to be uh uh, unwinnable. I, I don't want to be negative at all, but I mean, what, what do you have any ideas or are, is there people floating around some good ideas that can kind of get a little deeper into this solutions or.
3: No, I think, uh, the greatest drug cartel of all is called the Sackler family, almost solely responsible for the opiate crisis. Yeah. Yeah. There's a wonderful movie. It's called Behind the Orange Curtain. Yeah. There's a neighborhood here in Southern California called Orange County. Very affluent. Very white. I don't, you know, what you said about inner cities, I don't see that many people dying in inner cities compared to suburbs. But anyway, this film, uh, Behind the Orange Curtain, talked about how in schools, high schools, that, that the overdose rate was just, off the charge in Orange County. And when they examined it, they realized that it wasn't the hippies at school dying. It wasn't the nerds wanting to stay up late and study or whatever. It was athletes. Because inevitably, every high school athlete gets an injury. It could be broken leg, it could be a sprained ankle, but whatever injury they suffered, if they were sentenced to an hour in a doctor's office. They walked out with a prescription for twenty or thirty narcos or oxycontin or percinum, but oxycontin was the one that was marketed to doctors across the country as if they were selling the first Mustang that ever came out. It's like, oh my God, you got doctors were convinced they had to have this drug which they lied about being addictive. And I'm sure if you have uh, Hulu or you can find it somewhere, the TV series called Dope Sick.
2: Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. Michael yeah. Keaton.
3: Yeah. Watch it, it tells you the story. It's really fabulous. Uh, they None of them have done time. They've been fined billions of dollars, which they open their wallet and pay like it's a 20 and it's billions, because that's how much money they made, Uh, completely with the complicity of the United States government. The FDA had people, the same people who worked for the FDA, simultaneously worked for the the Purdue Pharmaceutical Drug family, simultaneously to teach... The drug company, how to skirt every regulation to override any new 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 laws. Just you know and I'm thinking why does the United States want people addicted? Why do they support people overprescribing medication that ultimately leads to death? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I just think that's the way business operates. The bottom line, there is nothing more important to an American corporation than the bottom line. And if people have to die to make sure you just experience your 5 or 8% growth a year, they will die. And the stockholders will pop open bottles of legal champagne and toast the fact that their dividends are going up every year. Because God forbid those dividends go down uh that's who corporations work for it's it's the stockholders uh and although the sacklers were private were a private company because they never wanted anybody to look at their books so it was just them it was just this family of 12 people who all became billionaires uh and and now are still billionaires. They're still billionaires. Well, and,
2: and that's a microcosm from the, a bigger, the bigger problem. It's, that's just a sample, a sample of it. What is the bigger problem? It's that That's going on with, it's not just Oxy with the Sacklers. I mean, it's just big pharma in general doing that with, with drugs. I mean, it's not, you know, that's, I'm sure, maybe it's maybe I shouldn't have said microcosm, maybe it's bigger than a microcosm, but that's just an example or sample of a bigger problem. I think
3: there's a website you might like called Mad in America that talks about the power and the egregious uh, actions of of big pharma. Big pharma, I think, is now as powerful and as dangerous as the military-industrial yeah. <laughs> complex. Yep. You know, there's big pharma, there's military, and I guess there's big oil. I don't know where Google's is on that scale of. Incredible power and wealth. But I don't think Google's killing any people. Uh, Apple, you know, there are many cases of, you know, specifically young girls who've committed suicide based on their Instagram feeds. Uh, but it doesn't hurt the stock. And that that's all that counts. Solution. Solutions. I love your family more. I don't know. I don't know teach them how to read, teach them how to write poetry. As a society, I don't think any lobbyists are going to make a difference. Uh, offering anyone who raises their hand and says, I need help, I need a rehab. Finance every person, adult or kid, who wants to go to rehab. I always said, I started a non-profit called Writers in Treatment and our our motto was... Uh, Treatment works. And in my mind, the most and and least you can do for someone who says they want to quit is send them to a a good, safe rehab for a month at least. But a month is enough if a person is given the opportunity to literally change their mind about how they want to live and possibly die. Get everybody who wants it to rehab for free and I think that would make a difference.
2: Do you do you um do you see, see that being close? Like is there a lot of people that want to go to rehab and can't do it? Well the Affordable Care Act
3: in America was a great benefit to a lot of people. Like you could get a minimum amount of rehab time. Uh and and it wasn't always and not fancy facilities but places where you at least are away from your substance yeah, yeah. for a couple weeks or, or, or a month and hopefully there's some counselors there that understand you and are compassionate and can help you work through the initial you know uh, the, the initial shock, shock. The, shock there you go, the shock of not getting high every day uh, and can help you see the light literally you know, not see the light for you, but help you see the light of like, wow, I'm better off. And <clears throat> I do a film festival. That's why I was in Vancouver for a couple of years, because the Orchard was our partner. Uh, and we had the Real Recovery Film Festival there for a couple of years. And we did a film festival in, I'll never forget, in Denver. And we had a group of a couple high-end sober livings. Bring their guys. Showed a movie. Afterwards, I said, "He said, you know, if you overdose, you're on. you That's like, you know, that's like the stairway to heaven. That's like you're you're living a Led Zeppelin song. You die, and you're you're in the next plane, but your families will suffer grief for the rest of their lives." Doesn't that matter to you? And they said, no, because we're selfish. You know, so selfishness might be the problem. Greed and selfishness, but even the selfishness of an individual who cares more about that buzz. And we know it's amazing. Like I said, I never shot heroin, but I don't know, Lenny Bruce said it's like being kissed by God. You know, there's not that, you know, it's hard to beat that competition for a feeling. You know, it's better than a good bowel movement, a good meal, or a good BJ. It's being kissed and hugged by God. What will you do for that? But will you make, will, will you enable your family to suffer unknowable grief because you wanted to go out and get high one more time? Like, that's how important it was for you. To feel good. I don't know. I've never been addicted to heroin. I don't know what I would do. Maybe your family is not the most important thing. Maybe you want them to suffer because they were pricks when you were growing up. I don't know.
2: But it's complicated. It's complicated. Yeah, it is. Because, I mean, like you said, there's 70% of the homeless are on meth, like you said. So, how do we're on meth? We're on on meth. Yeah. Uh, oh, we're on meth. Okay, well,
3: but so, that, at least you can get up and, you know, clean up your apartment. Uh, um it, it has no redeeming quality. it heroin is only for the it, they're all bad. What can I say? Yeah. They're yeah. all I don't know if they're a sin against humanity. But I don't know, one good shot of meth is probably fabulous for some people at some time. Uh you get a lot of work done. You can study and get all A's in your finals at Harvard or Yale. That's very seductive as the study drug, Adderall. And Adderall turns into coke. Turn and you can't afford to coke. Turns into meth, and then, you're, and then you're, you then you you you're up, up Shit's Creek, as they say. It's a it's a very complicated situation, and yes, but you can. You you know, you can't uh, e- e- e Subtract or, or, or re- What's the word I'm looking for? I'm losing my mind You can't get rid of greed You can't get rid of selfishness You can't get rid of drugs Because we know smugglers will do Anything to get drugs Into the neighborhood so they can earn a living You know, they, they need To feed their families it's, it's just a job to some people uh, And 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 I understand it. And may I have to cities, the police are in cahoots with the drug dealers because they're getting paid off. So that's the greed. That's the money. You know, it's money. It's euphoria. There's a shortage of euphoria in America. There's very little joy left. And that didn't just start to happen when the Fuhrer came into office you know, uh, six years ago.
4: Um
3: it's it's the school system. It's the you know it's everything, and, it, and it's also now you can say it's inflation because both parents have to work. There's nobody minding the kitchen when the kid comes home from work because everybody has to. You know what's that? What's something about to keep up with the Joneses. So we need a, we need to have a two family. I mean a two income family just to buy a nicer car. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe women don't want to stay at home and raise children anymore. All the women I've known who've stayed at home and raised children are seemingly very well balanced. And the kids are well balanced because their mother was there. You know, good, you know, good parenting hopefully yields good childhoods for kids. Uh, you know, I was only hit once by my mother, and she hurt her hand. So she never hit me again. But I'm sure some people don't stop at one whack. And who knows? You you got your Gabor Mate up there with all this. All, everyone has experienced trauma. And some of us are lucky just, just to deal with it with marijuana and a little Coke. Other people do all kinds of shit. And how many did, did you get drunk a lot? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Graham, you got drunk a lot? Yeah, yeah. Hangovers? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah,
2: that's why I couldn't. I just would keep drinking, right? I didn't want to deal with the hangovers, so. Keep going. <laughs> Fucking
0: keep going. Just keep,
2: just keep going. I mean, uh-huh. those, are, those are some of the best weekends when you're just drunk all weekend, you know, basically. Are How there? many
3: times do you think you drove intoxicated? Uh, Yeah, a few times, yeah. A few yeah. times. Quite a few. So do you have to count your lucky prayers that you uh, never...
1: Yeah.
2: over anybody or? Oh yeah, exactly. I got pulled over by the cops. They they fought. They gave me 24 hours and followed me home. In the in the in like 1980. What was that? That would have been 88, much- 88, 89. How much that's changed now?
3: Darren, I hate to talk about recovery, but there's this thing called the first step in the 12-step program. I'm and Without it, I would not have seen the light. Because when I went to the rehab, and I went because I was having a nervous breakdown over a breakup, and I thought the cops were after me, which is really why I drove to the rehab. Uh, But they made me write a list of all of 10 situations that could have had drastic consequences based on my drugging and my drinking. And it was only after I wrote down the things I had done that I was able to look at it and say, This person, this, I'm crazy. Only a crazy person would do this, or certainly only someone who didn't care about other people would do this. And when I saw it all together in writing, I thought, wow, I did, I have, I have a, you know, a serious problem. Because I think if you go insane slowly, people don't know you're insane. Maybe you don't know you're insane. If you go a little insane, you know every month you get a little crazier and after 10 years you're going to be out of your mind same thing with addiction like you're it's habit forming and and you and it gets to be a little problem but it's not dire yet uh but then it gets dire but then you you can't pull back and you think dire straits is just part of being part of drinking every weekend or or at lunch every day and getting high all the time is almost a badge of courage at some points in your life it's something that you that other people might envy like wow you know they drink all the time i don't i can't afford to drink all the time or oh that seems like creepy uh, and certainly cocaine was always $100 a gram that was like pure capitalism like the price of a gram of cocaine didn't change for twenty years. It was always a hundred, no matter where it was like clean say like, here's a hundred here's a gram you know for years uh, it was it was fascinating. I'm glad I don't do coke anymore that was that was a frightening thing for me when I realized and I say I was only a coke addict for one year. the thirteenth year. I would wake up in the morning. I'm saying, I'm not doing any Coke until after dinner today. And right after lunch, crushing it up, doing a line. I'd say, I'm not going to do any Coke today. That never happened. And so I realized I can't, the drug is now controlling me. For 12 years, every time I did a line or a stone, I did it because I wanted to. You know, I did it because, but in that 13th year, so that's my definition of when you tell yourself, you're not going to, you're going to go to a party, but you're not going to drink and you drink anyway. Yeah. And, then you're not. Yeah. I know. That's a cute little cat. Very fuzzy.
2: No, I, I, uh, I was going to ask you about the disease model. Cause you kind of, I think you kind of push back against the disease model a bit in your book. And, and, and what you just described there is what I describe as when I lost that choice, right? I would try to quit the next day. I would say I was going to quit the next day and I'd already changed my mind that night. I mean, I'd already gone and bought stuff that night. You know, I mean, it just never, I never really got to to quit for very long. It just never happened until I finally went, it's a, went to treat.
3: It's, it's a frightening thing. And so,
2: I, so I think you lose the choice. That's kind of what, to me, like that, why that disease model is there, because that choice is gone until that moment of clarity or something happens. Yeah. But I don't think you really you, you you sort of is there a big pushback with the disease model right now or in general or Yeah, in general. In general?
3: Yeah, in in England they call it an illness. They wouldn't dare call it a disease. Because there's several books that show how calling it a disease does way more harm than good. You talk about stigmatizing somebody. Oh, you got a disease. That's that's pretty stigmatizing. How many diseases do you know of where a person with the disease, be it cancer or asthma or diabetes, can walk into a room with 20 other people, all who had the similar affliction, who now don't, and that person never drinks or uses a drug again, where that disease is over? Do you still have the disease of alcoholism? Do you fit the definition of an alcoholic? No. Uh, Addiction is real. Addiction is like, I can't stop until I go to a hospital, get some medication, get clean, suffer a little. Yeah, addiction is as real as anything. But it's not heart disease. You, You can cure it by stopping putting shit in your system. That cures it. Okay, so you know, like you tell your neighbor who got ripped off by the junkie next door, like, oh, they didn't mean to rob you, they just have a disease. Oh, they have a disease, but it's not their fault because that's what disease means, it's not your fault. You had a choice at some point, at some, at some point,
2: point. point, at some point, you had, you had a choice, choice,
3: Yeah. and then along the way we didn't want to stop how many people love having disease you know people who drink a lot and do drugs they love it I loved it you loved it I never loved having asthma never loved having asthma Uh, and so you know the disease is like it's taking responsibility away from the individual oh don't they have a disease you know some people are some people born with it do some people develop it some people, you know, stop putting substances in your body that can cause you no good whatsoever. That can cause you to become addicted. Uh, you know, you can get, you know, you can get addicted accidentally, uh, and then then you can then you can stop. Then you can stop. Then you can go suffer and go to a rehab and try and change your life. And yes, accept a higher power. Ignore your higher power. uh, Just think it's a complicated. You know, one reason I love being a drug counselor is because there's no one prescription for everybody. They're all so different. So the way you get clean and sober is totally different than the next guy. And the way you got addicted, is different than the next guy. It's complicated, as they say, on the dating sites. Well, when you're dating a drug, you don't know, you know, you love it until you don't. I mean, that's, they say, was the definition we learned in school. What separates from a problem drinker from an alcoholic? Uh, an alcoholic is in love with that alcohol and no amount of consequences are gonna get them to quit. Problem drinkers can sometimes pull back. They actually, in the textbook, says if someone gets married or a good job, the likelihood of them tapering their alcohol use is very high. You know, the responsibilities of being a husband, the responsibilities of a good job. You weigh your, your the benefits and, and, and the detriments, and you think, no, I want, I want this job. Uh, I want this marriage to work because it's it's you know because I was lonely when I was alone and and you, but if you love alcohol more than you love your wife you 'll hit the alcohol if you love alcohol or cocaine or marijuana uh, or even ecstasy or perkinans more than you love your job you 'll sacrifice your job uh I knew I wasn't an addict many years ago, <laughs> when I was into freebase. You know, freebase was a, you know, the classy way of saying it was white man's crack. In other words, freebase, it was the greatest high ever. And one day the phone rang, and I was so high I couldn't answer the phone. And at the time I was a drug dealer, and I thought, shit, that could have been a drug that that could that Not picking up the phone could have cost me money. And at that point, I loved money more than I loved Freebase. So I quit. (laughs) Seriously, I quit Freebasing because I didn't want to not be available to my customers.
0: Is there a different process or is it just straight up crack? What's that? Is there like a different process to making Freebase or it's just crack?
3: It's a different process.
0: You cook it a little little longer?
3: Baking soda, baking oh powder. yeah,
0: like because back in the day they just put the baking soda and the coke in the spoon and cooked it up.
3: No, I don't know. We had these pellets that would that would dissolve whatever wasn't coke, so it ended up being a little moist. You couldn't drop it and hear it click on the table like a piece of crack. It was it was mushy. It was mushy. I don't know. It was a friend had a lot of these little little pellets that would dissolve everything that wasn't. Coke, and we'd smoke it and it was delicious and it got you to a place where you wanted to be over and over I was like I said or or I can't even say smoking crack was the great equalizer whether you were in a penthouse on the upper east side or you were in a tenement downtown or in Harlem once you had that hit you were the same person you felt the same you didn't think about anything other than how incredibly
2: good your body felt. Um, I love, I loved your, uh, your statement of unreal about uh, how to get creative when getting sober, because I can, I can imagine that being a, a real detriment to creative people, you know, like thinking that, Hey, this, this drug or drink or whatever is, is making me creative or it's enabling me to be creative.
3: And we started a series <clears throat> that is still going on. We actually put it online last year, called "Chasing the Muse." Chasing the Muse, Stone Cold Sober, and we had fairly well-known creative individuals who are clean and sober talk about how they got through the first year of sobriety without a shot or a drink or a joint. You know, based on the legend that. Eric Clapton, who reveals all this in his in work, uh, couldn't pick up a guitar for his first year of sobriety because the guitar itself was the trigger. He'd never sat and you know wrote songs if he wasn't high on something or another. So he, the, the guitar was a trigger for him, so he had to stay away from his guitar. So I ask other people, in that first year... You're not going to feel as creative because you don't have your electrical shot, your 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 powder or your joint. How do you get through that? What do you go to more meetings? Uh, write crappy songs if that's what you have to do. You know how do you how do you get through that first year before you start to feel comfortable and you realize you're now as creative as you were when you were 12 years old when there was nobody telling you that you could do anything bad, hopefully, and, and it all comes back in spades. It all comes back in spades. Uh, and that, that will happen. And you can, you know, it's like I tell, used to tell my clients, you know, you got to write a poem a week. Just anything. Get some thought, get some feeling out on paper. Study what a Japanese haiku is. And, 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 and do something. And if you used to take guitar lessons, start taking guitar lessons again. Whatever you used to do that you stopped because you were getting too drunk or too high too often, start taking lessons again. You know, go to a watercolor class. No one's going to look at it, maybe. Do something to to access that part of your being that, you know, maybe that's, uh, you know, the, I, I always say rehabs, you know they have exercise, they have lectures, uh, but they don't have you know set aside sessions to learn poetry, to re- learn it, to read it, or write it.
2: We had that. We had that at Orchard. Yeah, we had a creative arts uh, thing, and yes, I mean, yes. I had to write. I wrote a big, huge poem about about go. my addiction. Actually, I should I should read that again one day on the show. So. <laughs> I mean, yeah i should so i i had a i had an interesting experience reading your book because i mean you, i mean yours your yours life was way more adventurous of course and b- way more artistic than mine but mm-hmm. but i mean there was some things like you're 20 traveling around israel i was 20 traveling around israel and i mean just your, like just going across the pond and looking for drugs right away you know like having a to find that stuff right away and then I end up in a kibbutz at, at 20 you know tw- and then you were 20 years before me I think and a kibbutz in Israel yeah. even your story in Jerusalem reminded me of oh I tried to meet a guy at a hotel on uh, on Santorini actually and uh, similar to you like just couldn't hook up w- at the hotel like had uh-huh. to, we met in, in Israel instead but I mean it, it was just it was pretty cool to read the
0: I scored coke I mean, was, in the jungle in Cuba score- <laughs> I had to go right into the jungle to get it I remember just being like this was a bad idea (laughs) Pa committed now
2: (laughs) Probably the best Probably the best boy you had
0: I can't remember I was too drunk I think I pissed myself that time
2: (laughs) I didn't get
3: drunk a lot uh, When I was working Although eventually I got I became addicted to blackouts I do want to talk about Israel more Yeah yeah Remind me that I got addicted to blackouts. Because if you have ecstasy or Coke, you can drink a a lot of vodka and a lot of tequila and function but not remember anything. Yeah. Uh, But I never did it alone. I always had a companion there, you know, to to make sure I stayed safe and to have fun. Uh, But I, I never, I don't meet the, book criteria of an alcoholic which is someone who's lost their ability to control their drinking I never tried to control my drinking I never went into a bar for three Heinekens and ended up having six <laughs> yeah, three was enough uh, because I didn't want to not be in control pot I could always be in control cocaine you're always in control in fact you're controlling other people uh, but Israel was, uh, you know, my, my family thought, oh, like, really? He's going to Israel? You know, he's, he's... I thought he was in college. I was in a junior college. It didn't count. Uh, they thought we were going, me and my friend Joe Brodsky, thought they thought we were going to discover our roots. And, and, and our friends thought, oh, they're going to go try and smuggle hashish so they can make money. The truth was we were going to get our stash. We just needed it that bad that we were willing to risk our freedom in a foreign land. And God forbid if we'd ever gotten arrested there. It's like I say, Israel does not approve of hashish smokers. Because God forbid one of their soldiers gets a hold of some good Lebanese hash and shoots at a Palestinian and misses him. You know, so they want their soldiers clean and sober. Well I wouldn't call it sober, but I would call it something. Anyway. That might be a bad joke, but it is exactly the way I feel. Uh so has she did, did you get high while you were there?
2: Yeah, oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure I did. Yeah. 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 But I got we all, I think we both got laid on a kibbutz when we were twenty. I mean yeah. that's probably the that's probably the punchline. <laughs> <laughs> It was a mitzvah.
0: You As sure? You, you're, now you sure you're twenty years apart?
2: <laughs> no,
4: no, that's no. a bad joke. I oh, wasn't.
2: Okay. I, I wasn't in his threesome, Darren. <laughs>
3: you, you weren't born in Israel, were
2: you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh,
3: yeah. Okay. I already have uh, two sons.
2: That's enough.
3: Uh, it's all in the book, too.
2: Exactly. I, in, I wouldn't have said it if it wasn't in the book. I fell
3: in love on the floor of a disco. Not a good idea. <laughs>
2: uh,
3: but that mirrored ball does wonders. Nothing like Brian Ferry and a mirrored ball. And good drugs.
2: Maybe, maybe you should because we talk about synchronicities all the time on the show. Maybe you should t- talk about your experience in Jerusalem because you. We both lost. We both lost our friends in. Jer- in Israel, or I was in Greece. Time,
3: the yeah. Oh, that the, well, there's too many to say them all, but I guess the the,
2: the mid the midnight the, uh, the middle of the night one, one. yeah. The big one.
3: Uh, get to a hotel, old Jerusalem. I mean, old like we're walking down old Jerusalem, like ancient old, yeah. old. It's the same. I was gonna say tile, like it's a t- the same <laughs> stones that Jesus walked down. People living almost the same way, in the same garb, in the same eating the same food. We're in a little, an old hotel in old Jerusalem. So you can imagine how old it was. I get out the pipe and the hash, and we don't have any matches. I was with two friends, two girls. We didn't have any matches. I didn't have any matches. Talk about addiction. I'll and you always out.
2: had matches. And you always had matches, little, right? little so. boxes
3: of matches they I don't even think there were lighters back then, you know it was before they invented butane, so especially in europe and and Israel, the box matches, the wooden matches uh it's like ten thirty at night it's the streets are deserted. I like I have to go out and find matches, and it's not like there's a seven eleven on the corner it's like I'm thinking. I got to get lucky and find someone I can, I don't know what. There was no, no stores. No, I'm walking down this little alley and I see my friend from Philadelphia who I was supposed to meet there, but I got there a week late. I see in my, somebody walking towards me that looks just like him. Uh, but this guy has a beard and my friend didn't have a beard. But as he gets closer and closer, I see that it's my friend from Philadelphia who had since grown a beard, and it was him. Out of nowhere, in the middle of the night, with no have plans matches? to meet in old Jerusalem at that time on that street, because we I had never been there before, so I didn't know what the hell. Uh, and there he was. Uh, and he had come from a kibbutz, Because his friend was an opium addict and had to score. So they went with him to Jerusalem so he could get his opium. Uh, He wasn't there to score hash or anything, but they did have matches. They had the matches. Uh, Yeah, that's fantastic. and, and, And they invited me the next day to go to the kibbutz where... It was a great kibbutz. It was a very young kibbutz. Maybe it was only a couple years old. It was to age to, to age myself. It was shortly after. It was a few years after the Six Day War. The country was at peace. There was no terrorism of any kind at that point, because I think Palestine thought they were going to give back the lands they took over. But so the kibbutz was very, very hip, very small. Very, it was like a, a commune. It was more like a commune than a kibbutz. And we had chickens and avocado trees that I that I worked cutting down the avocados. Uh, I remember bagging bananas. You had to climb up on a ladder and put a plastic bag or burlap bag around the bananas so the frost wouldn't kill them. And then all this stuff was shipped. To Europe for grocery stores, the avocados and the bananas, the eggs—I don't know where they went. Uh, but it was really a spectacular adventure at the time. Meanwhile, with the idea of we have to go score, yeah. which
2: you, which you ended up, uh, which you ended up doing, right? getting it all the way back to the states. We yes, we did.
3: <laughs> I went there twice, actually. I don't know if that was clear, or maybe. I went there twice. I went with one friend initially and we smuggled it back through Kennedy Airport in a girdles that we had bought. The next time I went I had a female smuggle back a lot more in a body girdle. So I actually went twice within a year because it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> and if, you know, it's you say it's exciting, it was risky behavior. It was, it, wasn't, it was very risky, because the penalties would have been grave. They were, it would have been... I don't think I would have done well in prison.
0: Yeah, but if you weren't ha- taking risks, you, you know wouldn't have I mean. had a threesome either with Graham, maybe. What's that? They said if you weren't taking those risks, you wouldn't have had a threesome and conceived Graham, maybe.
3: <laughs> conceived Graham. Yeah, we don't even know which one he came out of.
0: He's too old. <laughs> He's too old. It could have been me. Yeah. I'm brown enough too. My that th- I've known Israel.
3: How'd you end up in Canada? That's a lucky break. <clears throat> I did good. You did? The Canadian son. I'm so excited.
2: No wonder why I was resonating to go back to Israel where I was <laughs> conceived. I don't
3: wouldn't go there anymore. I'm sorry I wouldn't want my son to go either.
0: I have no it's, plans it's, to go. It's, it's
3: it's not a happy place.
2: It was weird when I was there in 1990, there was uh, uh, we were picking cotton in the fields. It was pretty interesting, Gl- jackals and jackals in the fields and helicopters and planes circling around all the time. and this was in the Golan Heights, and uh, of course, there's you know uh, soldiers everywhere, the women had to go in for three years, you know, carrying their rifles around, and yeah, hitchhiking everywhere. it was it was, it was, it was, it was fairly peaceful at the time. but What's
3: a jackal? Is that a bird?
2: No, it's like a, it's like a, Dog? or were they hyenas or jackals? I it's think. like a, it was like a, a like a coyote. Call, like a, yeah. like the day of the jackal. Yeah.
1: yeah.
3: Oh, jack! Oh, jackals. Okay. Yeah,
2: they were running around in the in the sunrise. Uh, it, was, it was it was it was it was fun. It was a good experience. Lots of people from all over the world staying there. You know. Y- yes. Yeah. Yes. It is. Uh, yeah. How did you get there? I mean, why did you go? Oh, I was traveling all over Europe and the Middle East at the time,
3: and someone said, "Hey." uh yeah, yeah we we're cool.
2: said like let's meet at israel let's go to israel and we i was on the boat uh from crete i bumped into friends as well that i'd met on crete on the ferry uh-huh. over to Haifa, and yeah it was that that was the other part i was like well, <laughs> was just, yes, like, that's yeah.
3: where Haifa, that's where it all happened yeah
2: uh, it's pretty, pretty interesting. So, and then I, so I met the guy I was supposed to meet in Greece. I ended up meeting on a kibbutz. We both talked about going to a kibbutz to kind of stall for a few months, you know, slow things down a little bit, kind of work, work to live there for a while. Cause you, if, if otherwise you just spend all your money traveling through Europe. So.
3: And then you have to come back and get a job.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was just, yeah, totally. I was
3: starting, starting your,
2: your work. life. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And, what did you do when you, what, what, what was your career, if I may ask?
2: Uh, I worked in uh, in helicopter overhaul for quite a while. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, before I got sober. I, that's where I got sober out of uh, that job. I got laid off in uh, 2007.
3: Yeah, I have a friend, a comedian named Alonzo Bowden. Who, before he became a comedian, was in aerospace as a mechanic. Yeah. And uh, fascinating. Draft yeah, I was more in management and stuff. And I, had,
2: I painted for a while. I was house painting. And then when I got sober, I, I painted for myself for a while. And Now he's a podcaster.
0: Can you believe it? that? No, like now he's a podcaster. Painting. Are you sure you're clean?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what? Uh, let's uh, let's run through your uh, your stuff that we should link to and all that, and your wait, real wait. recovery and. Leonard all, Bouchel all that that on stuff.
3: Facebook. I still have some space for some new friends. I love Facebook. I even buy ads on there because I don't want Mr. Zuckerberg to go broke anytime soon. Uh, my favorite website is mm, I don't know Leonard Bouchel I B U S C H E L. I like Facebook. I'm not much of an Instagrammer, but I think I have an account. Um, I don't understand Instagram, other than people say it's important. I don't believe. <laughs> Twitter. Um, I I think I I don't follow anybody, but I should. But I like Facebook. I know it's for elderly citizens, but
0: don't follow uh, me on. I Twitter. guess
3: I might be one, right? Thank, well, you, well, you also got the real.
2: On your eyes. You also got the real recovery, right? Real recovery real film festival,
3: festival uh, dot org. Real, spelled R E E L. We started it when all we could get was 35 millimeter reels of film to show. Now they don't even exist. It's all digi- digital. uh yeah, leonardbouchelle or Leonard Bouchelle on Facebook. I think I have two Facebook ones has a lot of friends, and the other one is Leonard Bouchelle News Personality. I post a lot of interesting things all the time.
2: What What about uh, for your real recovery? Are you going to have uh, Dope Sick or Behind the Orange Curtain on there at all, or have you already?
3: Well, we can replay Behind the Orange Curtain. That's like four or five years old. Uh, Dopesick is the property of whatever film company made it for Hulu. Right. Uh, hopefully, uh, I just like to promote
1: the yeah, film.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and we have uh, we get we have six submissions this week. We get a lot of films from all over the world because we deal not with just with pure addiction but process addictions, meaning gambling, shopping, sex. Uh, mental, Ill, mental injury movies, depression, anxiety. People make really interesting movies. A lot of them are shorts, but people are very creative and very innovative. Most of them have made a film or two. A lot of them are first-time filmmakers. Uh, we love to have filmmakers in person. We are back in person last year. We we're only online. We're in Los Angeles. If anybody's in Los Angeles...
2: Uh, October 21st to 27th, yeah. Yeah,
3: at the Lemley Theater. Uh, Call, check in. If anybody has any submissions, if anybody maybe wants a referral to a rehab, we do that too. Uh, You know, even people with Medi Cal in in America, there are a lot of rehabs that take Medi Cal. Uh, Like I said, the Affordable Care Act really opened it up to for because they I think it was called it a parody like a mental health mental health issue and an addiction issue were treated the same as far as funding someone to get help uh, there's a lot of help out there and there's and there's nothing like going to a good old-fashioned 12-step meeting you know people do get struck sober in a meeting I've heard a lot of speakers and I no, I've been no that's it.
2: that's a really good point. Like, you, you know, you don't have to go. I've met people, too, that you don't have to go through the rehab process. You can just look up your local AA meeting or CA meeting or NA meeting or
3: and go, whatever. And, and, and go and feel uncomfortable and drink coffee. Uh, don't put it off because you think you have to wait to find a rehab that you can afford or that you can get into. That's just,
2: that's just a delaying tactic.
3: You know, go for yeah. it. Yeah. Go for
2: it, and then Amazing. your and then your addiction recovery bulletin as well, right?
3: Amazing, bulletin dot org. A lot of people don't know how to spell bulletin. Graham, you want to spell it for him?
2: Yeah, it's B U L L E T I N. It's right.
3: It's addiction recovery e bulletin, and it changes every week. It's completely different every Tuesday all brand new articles, newsworthy articles, including some celebrity uh, sobriety stories. You know, there's another celebrity coming out every week with a memoir or, or something. And, uh, you know, we our my favorite movie two years ago was Rocketman by Elton John. Elton John, Rocketman. Get it, rent it. It is spectacular. And if you love his music, you'll love it even more.
2: Did you know who Did you know who funded some of that? Orchard Recovery. No, the Vatican.
3: The Vatican.
2: <laughs> I just they
3: heard- be, are they sure they can afford it?
2: <laughs> they don't care about the return. They're just funding the, that movie. Weird, eh? Rocket Man. Yeah. I just heard about that today. Or is... Is is the Pope and
3: Elton hooked up? Uh, man. <laughs> I mean, what's what's the deal? Yeah, I don't know.
0: Maybe he loves oh. Elton's drum solos as much as you do, Graham. <laughs> they just I
2: cried back. during. Uh, speaking of like you know feeling high and in uh, recovery, I was trying? at Elton's Elton's uh, concert in Vegas and his drummer Lee. Uh, what do, do you remember, Darren? What his name is? Um, no idea. Oh, Rocket it, Man this
0: is drummer, the only
2: Unbelievable.
0: I only unbelievable know drummer had these album.
2: massive drum sets. And yeah. I fucking just bawled. Like, it was just, there was something about the resonance of the drumming and the perfection of it and all. So I was just sobbing. Like, it was incredible. I sobbed when I saw Shirley Ray.
3: Rehab. What's that? Ray Cooper was his name, I think. Ray Cooper. Drummer. Give him a heart. Give him a hand. They're magicians. They work harder than anybody in the band in every way. They're amazing. Uh, I started crying when I saw Carlos Santana, <laughs> and I realized, wow, I can still enjoy music because I was sober. And then he brings out his son, and I have two sons, and I was cracking up, crying like, oh my god, I can music still sounds good without weed. He's got a son up there, family tradition. Uh, you know, I was at Woodstock. You know, and, and how amazing was
2: he at
3: Woodstock? Well, you're laughing like I'm kidding.
2: No, I I'm just thinking about the story, reading your reading your escapades in your oh. book. You know, yeah, yes, It goes can. everything from Woodstock to Israel to uh, you know,
3: exciting, a very exciting time. Hopefully, I don't know who said it, but somebody wrote something like, "Well, oh, I thought once you got sober, your life would get dull, and it hasn't." I mean. You know, I, actually, I used to tell my clients, get used to find your inner nerd. When you get sober, find your inner nerd. You know, you're going to have to deal with boredom once on. I recently had a, a young lady say, "Oh, I don't ever get bored." And I'm thinking, well, no shit, you've had drugs and alcohol to make sure you never got bored. But when you don't <laughs> have drugs and alcohol, you're going to hit a boring patch. No, that's it. Afternoon. Yeah,
2: that's, you know, that's a good point. I to, so I speak. Be- always have a book with you. Yeah, or just get used to, or just really try and get used to to quiet time on your own without, you know... without. Yeah, nobody
3: can do
2: that. Not with the phone.
3: No, cell phones are the new cigarettes. They are the new cigarettes. When you pass an office building and people are out on their break, nobody's smoking. They're all on their phone. We're all on our phone while we're driving. It's awful. I love it. I think... I actually did some research a couple weeks ago about a facility to deal with cell phone addiction because I use it for business, so I have an excuse to have it. I was a professional photographer when I was younger. I I carry a camera now only to special occasions, but I like the idea that I have a camera in my pocket because I do use it. And when you park in a big parking lot, you take a picture of where you parked, you know, and the number on, on the beam, because you don't want to write it down because you're too lazy to write it down anymore. And my memory doesn't work. So I take a picture of where I parked my car. It, it comes in very handy. It's a tool. It's an incredible, incredible tool. And I know there's a, now a new app on the iPhone that lets you measure things, it lets you measure rooms, lets you measure furniture you don't need a soon you won't need a tape measure or a yardstick it's all there i can't live without it and i will not live without it maybe people in prison who don't have cell phones have a richer inner life because they really have to go within they really have to find out what makes them tick or what made them tick or what brought them to that Hopefully there'll be no people in jail for drugs anymore. Wouldn't that be amazing? They could they yeah. could get rid of nine out of ten prisons. Yeah. And, could, yeah. and all those people who got into fights and hurt somebody on alcohol, maybe if they could have gone to rehab for free before they got that strung out, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So I'm putting on notice: the prison industrial complex. Your days are numbered.
2: I like it. Awesome. Okay. That's a good way to finish. Thanks, Leonard. It's been great all chatting right. with you. Good book. Thank fun you. fun book to read. Almost Thanks. an hour Thank and a half. So Thank you, Darren.
3: Enjoy it all. Thanks. Okay. Take care, guys. See ya. Bye.
0: Bye-bye. You lucky Canadians. <laughs> well, we're not that lucky, but we try.
3: <laughs> but you are Canadians.
0: We are Canadians.
3: <laughs> I'm <laughs> half right.
0: Have a great okay. night.
2: Bye, guys. Bye.
0: And that was our chat with Leonard. What would you think, buddy?
2: Oh, yeah. That was fun. That was I was a fun. little worried at the beginning. I...
0: Started but, slow. Uh, picked you know, up steam. Yeah,
2: it was It was... Uh...
0: Luckily, you guys had a high guy to get the ball rolling.
2: That's right. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> thanks Darren. Anytime. Yeah. That's no, what I'm was, here for. It was, uh, it was good to chat with him. Yeah. It's good that we did a recovery show like this. One day I'll and be And he's recovered. doing lots of good stuff for recovery, so... I was going to talk about harm reduction, but I didn't want to extend it for too much longer. But really, um, yeah, it's just, I think, like, I drove through Spokane the other day, uh, and man, it was just like, oof, a couple of spots. Oh, I've yeah, if you looking, go through the wrong
0: part of Spokane, oof.
2: Yeah, a lot of, like, a lot of um, homeless and You don't have to go to Spokane, just
0: go downtown. It's what? summer. So, you don't What's have that? to go to Spokane to see homeless people. There's tons of them here. Yeah, I know. You just don't really see all them over. in the winter. I just don't so feel much. like
2: there's any solutions right now at all happening, but
0: yeah, I don't know. It's a tough one. It's, uh, it's a tough one. I mean, at least there's good people like Leonard trying to solve it. And you, yep. I mean, you're working on it too. Here I am just getting high.
4: <laughs>
0: Big thanks to Leonard for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Ah, uh, even bigger thanks if you're one of the few who choose to support our work over here. If you're getting a little value from our little podcast, 550 or 60 episodes, or 40 or 45 or something, 545 episodes, all for free, all there in the back catalog. You go listen to them all. The episodes from 2013 doesn't cost you anything. But if you can't afford it, we could use some support. Uh, it's tough out there during the inflation and the wars and the covids and all that bullshit. We could use some support to pick up the slack. We love our supporters. We can't do without you. We understand people come on hard times. But we could use some new people to come in line and pick up the people that have had to drop out as they've come upon hard times. slash support Sign up for a monthly today. Check out AdultBrain.ca for all the audiobook action—fifty-five titles. Join the chats. slash chats SpamGram. GrahamAmerica.com. And then we have a bunch of events going on. If you want to get in on all that stuff, see what we're up to. Go over to contact at thecabin dot com. We're not going to Israel, but we are going to Egypt. Maybe we'll go to Israel one day. Not looking good, honestly. I'll be honest. I doubt we end up in Israel, but we'll probably go someplace cool. I think that's about Contacting it. Contact
2: in the catacombs, or what would we? What would we call that one?
0: Contact in the no. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> not going to say it.
2: Okay.
0: I'll say it after. If it wasn't all his right. episode, I might say it. But I better. No, I better not. I, yeah. Oh, I'm so tempted. But yeah. it. We love you guys. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.
1: Revive it and make it a reality I've hacked into a politician's password and transfer money into several overseas accounts And as we speak, a super computer project is in the works And if it works, we'll use it to point and click our way to sound so true Either you're in a route, or out, are you game, or is the game over? This must be a glitch in the Matrix This must be a glitch in the matrix. of revolutionary dream is versus the machines. Go! Watch out for them laser beams. Climb to the top of the pyramid scheme. Capitol Hill's getting steeper and steeper Meanwhile, deck gets deeper and deeper Don't get comfortable, free stickers Cause it's gonna take more than Hand and eye coordination on your PlayStation It's gonna take mind elevation There must be a glitch in the Matrix But I keep getting flies. Trying to weave through all the lies. From the bad guys in the suits in the neck ties. Help me find me all the golden She has the answer There must be a glitch in the matrix. There must be a glitch in the matrix. Ooh. A revolutionary train. Rage against the machine. Ooh. Don't get covered.